Yeah, the fateful uh, winter camp. I heard about that one. Yeah, and that's the best. I love that every time I hear about that camp, Spencer's still like, but it was fun. <laughs> Anything else? Anything encouraged you guys? Yeah. I was encouraged to spend time with the family and Good. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> I we called we called uh, Daryl to see where they were and Daryl's like, actually I'm driving. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> but actually then I thought about it for a second. I'm like, I, I know exactly what happened. Yeah. The kids are losing their minds and only mom can fix it. So Daryl's driving. That's why I choose to drive on the long road trips. I'm like, I'll drive. <laughs> Which means she has to do all the hard work. All right. On that note. Okay. So today we're starting off with the topic of developing a servant heart. And we're doing the first message, which is called True Greatness. Now, before we get to this passage here, um, does anybody know which really famous athlete died this past week? Muhammad Ali, right? No, nobody said Kimbo Slice. He died today, actually. Anybody know who Kimbo Slice is? No. He's a street fighter. <laughs> okay, all right. Guess only I know about that stuff. Yeah. Who knows what Muhammad Ali... Well, he's got a number of famous sayings, but anybody know some of his famous... Uh, quotes, Muhammad Ali's. Anybody? Joseph? I'm the king of the world. Anybody else? Yeah? Muhammad Ali is a boxer. Yes, good, okay. He is a boxer. Um, he's actually the one who inspired the movie Rocky when they made the movie Rocky. It was because of a fight between him and I think Joe Frazier. Um, but yeah, he went down in history as one of the greatest boxers ever to live, ever to fight. Anybody know any other quotes? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Or the Cars movie version. What is it? Yeah, float like a Cadillac, sting like a Beamer. Okay. Well, one of his greatest lines was, I am the greatest. Okay, it goes with I am the king of the world. But he was known for saying, I am the greatest. So that's our topic for today. Think about what does it take to make somebody great. And so I want you to think about yourself first. Okay? Where would you like to be the greatest? Okay, think about that for a minute. Probably a couple of things that come to mind. Where are you the greatest? Anybody in here the greatest at anything? Being annoying. <laughs> There's world records for anything. So yeah, if you're just like annoying for the longest period of time, I'm sure we could find that one. Well, who do you guys, who are great people in your eyes? When you think of people who are great, who would you think of? Tommy Ansel. Was that where we were pointing at Nathan? Oh, okay. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. He's pretty great. Who else? Who's great? Heidi. Heidi Ansel. Heidi Ansel. Okay. All right. 
<laughs> Daryl <laughs> gets the. Uh, oh, okay, I'll throw Daryl out there. Chuck Norris. Yes. I mean, there's whole books and websites dedicated to all the yeah, things he can do, like, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, why do you think we're talking about greatness if our topic for this week is developing a servant's heart? What does developing a servant's heart have to do with greatness? Well, it has to do with Mark chapter 10, which is where we're going to be. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to start in verse 32. 10.32. And I'll start reading here. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem... Yeah, I cut out 32, didn't I? All right, we'll start at 35 then. Okay, why not? And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I don't think we need that. Okay. So what do we see in this passage? Well, the first thing we see is Jesus makes an assumption. He doesn't really make an assumption. He makes an observation. What do James and John want? What do they want to be? They want to be great, don't they? And how is that greatness going to be manifested? How are we going to know that James and John are great? Because they're going to sit on the left and the right of Jesus. Which, if you were back in that day, you would know that those are the number one and number two positions of power right underneath the king. Okay, so they want to be great. And I don't think they're alone in that. So point number one is that we all desire to be great. I think there's something inherent in each one of us that says, I want to be great. For me, when we had our uh, elementary yearbook, my fifth grade yearbook listed what each of the students wanted to be when they grew up. And I've gone back and glanced through that yearbook uh, when I go to my parents' house, it's still there. What types of things do you think you'd see in a fifth grade yearbook? Keep in mind, I grew up in a very yuppie neighborhood. We, uh, we won tennis championships like crazy. We're so good at other sports, but 
We had lots of tennis championships and golf championships. If that tells you anything as the uh, strata that I grew up in. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. Not takes a lot of money to play a lot of tennis and a lot of golf. All right. So um, what types of things do you think people want to be grow up? What do they put as a fifth grader? What would you expect to see? Firefighter? Yeah, definitely got those kids. To be rich. To be rich, right? So what, what profession would you put for that? Professional athlete. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Professional athletes were definitely on there. Anything else? Doctor. Doctors. Yeah. Lawyer. President. Yeah. Airplane. <laughs> we call those pilots, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. <laughs> so the one that stuck out to me was a kid who put, not just doctor. I want to be a brain surgeon in Miami is what he put. And you just look at that, you're like, what kid says I'm going to be a brain surgeon in Miami, except for a kid who knows a brain surgeon that has a lot of money and has lived in Miami and has seen like the wealth in that area, right? Okay, in other words, I want to be really, really rich. Now I want you to think, have you guys ever done that? Have you done that for like a yearbook or an assignment or something? What do, I, do you guys know what you put when you were younger, what you wanted to be when you were going to grow up? What'd you put, Spencer? What? The guy who flies the airplane? Yeah. No. <laughs> An adventure guide. Nice. Anybody remember what they put? Back in the past. Yeah. NFL player. NFL player. Yeah. Probably race car driver. Race car driver. Marine biologist. Marine biologist. Nice. Professional athlete. Uh huh. Professional athlete. So it's just like whichever one worked out, just go pro, badminton, ping pong, any of those really, just all our options. Now how many of you have, are, are, do you still hold that goal? Is that what you want? Yeah, yeah maybe. Like, yeah, like someone outside. Okay. Um, do these desires, how, how do you think we pursue greatness right now? What does it look like in high school to pursue greatness? Okay, so maybe you're really involved in things. Good grades. Um, hang out with the right group. Okay, yeah. Who's your kind of social group that can make you great or not great in other people's eyes, right? What else? How about when you look in the mirror, do you do anything to make yourself appear greater? Flex. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely flexing, maybe, for some people. Okay? Most of us probably don't look in the mirror and be like, man, I look like a wreck. Oh, well, who cares? I'm not in school. Some of us do, but, and I admire those people, to be honest. I really do. I think, I think you're on the right track. If that's you, just keep going down that track because if you don't care what people think about you, you're going to go far in life. But most of us do care, right? Most of us look in the mirror and we think, what are other gonna, people going to think if they see me like this, right? And what do I need to do in order to be perceived as better, maybe, than I actually am. Well, I had an interesting experience when I was finishing up my PMT program, when I was finishing up grad school, um, right actually before we decided to go to Israel. And it was that I was looking to make some extra money, and um, I saw an advertisement on a wall at Wheaton College that said proctoring. And so proctoring is when you go and you sit in an exam and you watch people take a test, and you sit 
and you watch. And you can't be on your phone, you can't do anything because you have to make sure that they're not cheating or anything. And you get paid very well to do this. And oftentimes the tests are somewhat long and very boring. And all you think about is how much money you're going to make at the end of it. Actually, the very best test that you could possibly do was called the CFA exam. It's the Certified Financial Analyst. That's what people who uh, go to business school, they take it. It's got three courses. It's a test that lasts six hours long. Okay? The perk for the proctor is you make $300 by sitting with that test for six hours and doing nothing. Okay, so it's not six hours of hard labor, it's six hours of watching people, which I'd be happy to do and make $300. And in fact, I got Angel to do it too, so he would come home with $600, which was really great. Now the guy who ran all of this was named David. David was a professor at Loyola. Um, he ran the proctoring in all of Chicago. Okay, and so he took a liking to me. Um, I just made a connection in my mind. I'm not sure I'll talk about it. But, well, let's go ahead. Best way to describe David, how many of you have read Harry Potter? Okay. Do you guys know, I, man, it's been a little while for me, what's the name of the dark arts professor in book... Yeah, uh, no, not the, not the dumb one. The one... Yeah, the one who loved... Harry's mother, Lily. Snape. Oh, not love. Not fallen in love. Sorry. He, that's a good one. This one's like season five. It's like five. It's a... Slughorn? Slughorn? Is that the chubby one? Yeah, Slughorn. That one. Now, you guys remember how Slughorn liked to have trophy students? Yeah. Okay, that was his thing. Like, he liked to have, he would, and he would have his little club where he'd invite the popular cool kids because he loved to say these were his, like, Protégés. These were his trophy students, right? And Lily was one, and he wanted Harry to be one. That's what David wanted, this guy who was a proctor, okay? Uh, the head proctor. And so he took me under his wing, and I remember him talking to me um, about my future. And about at this point in time, I was finishing up PMT, finishing up grad school, thinking I wanted to go into a pastoral ministry, and something happened, an angel's in my life, that kind of threw everything up in the air, and we started wondering, should I really go and be a pastor right now? And so we asked our elders, um, and we talked to people we respected, and we got lots of people whose advice was, we just don't think it's the best thing for you guys right now to go into a head pastor position or to a pastor position. You should consider something else, okay? Well, I told that to David. And, I, and so I told him, you know, I got this advice. Um, this is probably where we're headed. He was flabbergasted. He was angry, actually, that anybody would give me the advice to go away from something like this. And he would tell me on a regular basis how gifted I was, how influential and amazing I was, and how I needed to go to these different institutions to become even more amazing. Now, keep in mind, David had never seen a report card. He'd never seen a paper I'd written. He'd never seen a grade for me. So I should have caught on about then. And he would talk to me about a church that he went to called Fourth Presbyterian Church in downtown Chicago. Okay, now it's an amazing church. It's right across the street from the Hancock building, if you guys have been down there. Uh, beautiful, old, historic. And he would talk to me about how much prestige there was in preaching at that church and how only the most amazing and important people taught at that church. And I just remember feeling like, he really was touching on something that drew me. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I would love to teach in a church like that. 
And he said, what I'd really love for you to do is I'd love to see you go to one of these top-notch programs and get your doctorate. And he said, where I want you to go is I'd love for you to go to Cambridge. You guys know where Cambridge is? Cambridge is over in England, okay? And it's one of these top schools in England right up there with Oxford, Cambridge. Um, in America, we'd compare it to like Princeton, Stanford, those level of schools. And he would say, you've never seen a graduation like a graduation at Cambridge. And he would talk about all of the... Um, the uniforms that everybody wore and the, and the music and the, just the general greatness of every single person who walked away from Cambridge as a graduate. And in all of this, again, it was just tugging at my heart to say, yeah, I do want all of that. Now, I was very thankful that I had other wise people in my life, and I remember sitting down with Pastor Worley and asking him, tell me about this Fourth Presbyterian Church. You know, this guy Dave is telling me all about it. Sounds amazing. He wants to help me get into it. And Pastor Worley's comment was that he thought it was a beautiful church, an amazing church. Um, he had no reason to believe that the pastor who preached there was actually saved. It was a church that taught what people wanted to hear, and it was not a church that taught the gospel. And that was a very helpful recalibration for me to see that what I was being drawn towards was this desire just to be great. And it was not just a desire to be great for the right reasons, it was a desire to be great for the wrong reasons. It was a desire to be great in other people's eyes so that they would praise me, so that I would be seen as someone who was influential and powerful. Now I think that God created each one of us with the desire to be great. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. He did, like we've learned in Genesis, create us as the crown of all creation, right? We were this last and greatest work of creation. And we would waste our lives if we acted like a cat our whole life and just laid around in sunbeams waiting for the sun to move and get up and move a little bit, you know, cleaning ourselves with our tongues, throwing up hairballs, sleeping, and occasionally freaking out in the middle of the night and running around and doing what cats do, right? We would waste our lives if we acted like a bug, a, a fly, just buzzing around, nibbling on a little food here, nibbling on a little food there, and that was our whole life. God created us with a lot of potential. The potential to be more than these other creatures. The problem is that we want to achieve that greatness and use our potential in the wrong way. And that's what we see in this passage. So in the second point, we see that in the world, greatness is achieved by ruling over others. How do James and John talk to Jesus in this passage? What do you notice, Alec? You're exactly right, right? So when we read this, it should not sound right in our ears. If you guys look um, at verse 35... And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I mean, can you imagine going up to your parents and just being like, Okay, first, before I tell you what I want, I just want you to say yes to whatever I'm going to say next. And then, yeah, let's just move forward from there. So you just give me whatever I'm about to say. 
We want you, put us in these places of power. Now, how do the other disciples react? Yes. You see what it says down there? Verse 41. What's it say the other ten how they feel? That's right. They began to be indignant. So I looked up the word indignant because I'm not very smart. And I thought, gee, what does that word mean? And it says feeling or showing anger because of something that is unfair or wrong. Why do they feel like it's unfair? Because they want to be great, right? The only reason they would say it's unfair is because it's not fair for James and John to be number one and number two because I want to be number one and number two. So in reality... James and John are the same as all the other disciples. They all want to be in this place of authority. And the way that they seek the authority is by asking Jesus to put them in a place where they're going to be in charge, right? But Jesus makes an observation. Jesus says, you don't want to be like the Gentiles. Now remember, when Jesus talks about Gentiles, in general, a Jewish person would think bad guys, right? Outsiders, not Jews, okay? And so he says, well, let's look at how the worst people seek greatness, or the people who are outside the people of God seek greatness. Now, you have to understand, Jesus didn't really think Gentiles were outside the people of God. He came to save everyone, and you see that as he goes on and teaches, but he uses kind of the Jewish way of thinking to teach the disciples, and that's what he's doing here is, okay, let's think, how do these people that you don't think are good, how do they exercise authority? Well, it says in verse 42, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. What do you guys think it means to lord it over people, lord it over them? It's kind of a weird way of saying something. Well, as you look up the phrase in the original language, it says, to lord over someone means to get into one's power, to master, to have complete control, or to domineer over them. Okay, so this is what the Gentiles do. When they get put in leadership, they domineer, they lead, they get them into your power. I'm the master over you, and I rule over you. And that's how the Gentiles pursue greatness is by ruling and domineering over those who are underneath them. Now, we already said that the problem is not that we want to be great. The problem is the way that we go about achieving that greatness. So here we see that the disciples um, and the Gentiles are trying to achieve greatness by ruling over. So the question is, I already asked it once, but let's ask it again. How do we try to lord it over other people? How do we try to become great by ruling over those who are around us, okay? Well, I've got some ideas. One is we reject orders, or we disobey orders. We reject to be submissive, okay? So think about your teachers, think about your parents. When anybody tells you what to do, one of the ways that we try to be in charge is we simply don't do it. We say, you think you're in charge? No, I'm the one in charge. I'm not gonna do what you asked me to do. Or you can think about being right, okay? Some of us, we have to be right all the time. And being right is really just um, an attribute of wanting to be over other people. Now, oftentimes, I'll sit in a car with some teenagers sometimes, or with my kids even, or with adults, and 
you'll hear a conversation and hear one person correcting another person and sitting in the front, <coughs> I can tell, actually, the one who got corrected was the one who was right in the first place. But because they're more of a kind of quiet or shy or submissive person, they just kind of go along with it. And so the one who is domineering and ruling over is actually giving wrong information, correcting the other person, and they're doing it in a forceful enough way that they come out as the one who's in charge and the one who's right or the one who's great. Okay, so you don't even necessarily have to have the right information, but it's just this desire to have more knowledge and be the one who's right in a conversation, whether or not you are. We can become great by refusing to serve. Okay, we had an example of this when I was in school in Jerusalem. Students had a uniform that they had to wear. And part of the uniform was this gray hoodie that zipped up. And we had a janitor who was a really nice guy, um, really helpful, just jumped to do anything that you needed him to do. Um, and he collected these all over the place because as you guys know, when you have a school uniform, if you've ever had one, it's not your favorite thing to wear and you don't really care that much about it. So kids leave it lying all over the place. So our lost and found had like 600 school uniforms in it. And so he, one day, it was chilly, decided to go to lost and found, put on one of the sweaters, went about his work. And as he was working, one of our high school students walked in, saw him wearing a school uniform and said, oh, haram, which means forbidden. How could, how could a janitor wear our school uniform is what he was saying, okay? And it's this idea that those who serve are lower than me, right? And I'm above them. And if you were to ask me to do the work of a janitor, if you were to ask me to do this, you know, hard work, I would never do that. And when we have that attitude, it's just another way that we're trying to be great. We're trying to rule over other people by saying, I'm better than you because I'm not going to do that sort of thing. That's something that you, someone lower, should have to do. Okay? Um... Just a couple more. Being recognized by others is the best. We always want to look like the strongest. We want to look like the most talented. We want to hear people talk about us. We want to give orders rather than taking them. Uh, we call shotgun. It's kind of a small thing, but why do we do that? Because we want to be in charge. We want to be the best. We want to be in the right place, right? Looking for ways to benefit yourself rather than ways to benefit others. Think about your daydreams. When you sit there and you daydream, how many of you, you know, have ever gotten into a fight in a daydream and lost? <laughs> Any kind of a weird daydream, all right? Or maybe you've like, you're in your daydream, you're thinking about telling someone off or whatever it is, and you're like, man, I just really wish this could happen, and it just goes horribly wrong for you. <laughs> Doesn't usually go that way, right? Because in our daydreams, we want to be the greatest. We want to be the best, and we think we are the best, right? We put down others in order to get a leg up over them. So, you know, the whole like sitting in a corner with another person. I don't know. You've got a phone. You're texting. You're giggling. You're laughing. Someone else walks up. You hide it. You know, secret information. You can't be part of it. How does that make that other person feel? Well, we have privilege. We're better than you. You can't, you can't be a part of it. Unless you're Spencer. And you're like, eh, I don't care. <laughs> All right. So we've talked about that all. So what's the solution? Let's go ahead and bring it to a close. How do we fulfill our desire to be great and do it the way God intended? Well, Jesus teaches us that true greatness is achieved by serving others. <gasps> Big shocker, okay? Developing a servant's heart. So Jesus says in Mark 10, verses 42 to 44, but it shall not be so, or 43, but it shall not be so among you, 
But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. So Jesus says, if you want to be great, you have to be a servant. If you want to be first, you have to be a slave. In Jesus' mind, when he's talking about greatness here, he's talking about someone who has authority, someone who's recognized, and someone who has influence over other people. So Jesus isn't just saying, you know, someday if you're like servant-hearted enough, someday God will make you great in heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you want to be great right now, if you want to have influence over people, if you want to be recognized, if you want to be given authority positions, start by serving. If you want to be first, which is another way of saying, if you want to be the leader, start by being a slave. So let's talk about what Jesus means by this. Service to others is the key to gaining people's respect and their recognition. And this attitude leads to positions of greatness and leadership. Timothy Keller, a pastor out in New York, says this. Picture this. And picture this happening. Tell me if you can think of an example of this happening in your life. He says, be so sacrificially loving that the people around you who don't believe what you believe, they may not even be Christians, will soon be unable to imagine the place without you. Be so sacrificially loving that they'll think, I can't imagine having this place without you here. They'll trust you because they see that you're not only out for yourself, but out for them too. When they voluntarily begin to look up to you because of the attractiveness of your service and love, then you'll begin to have real influence. And it will be an influence given to you by others, not taken by you from others. So Gentiles, they become great by stepping on heads, climbing the ladder to the top. The way that you become great in Jesus' world is by serving from the bottom. And as people start looking around, they say, man, we could not survive without this guy or this girl. And when it comes time to think, who should our next leader be? They're going to start looking at the bottom to see who's really committed and served this group. So I want to apply this today by the same this. Where would you like to be recognized as a leader? Where would you like to have influence? Consider, what am I involved in? In my choir? On my track team? In my family? Among my brothers and sisters? In this youth group? I know that for me, I would love to leave behind the legacy of being an influential pastor. I'd love to know that when my time is up, and when Jesus calls me home, that I had made an effect on people, that I'd had an impact on people. And I look at pastors like John Piper or David Platt. Do you guys know who he is? Uh, wrote the book Radical. Um, John Stott. And I look at these guys and I want to be like them. Now, we have to be really careful when it comes to greatness that we don't want to be like other people just because we want to be praised. We have to curb our own pride. But when I think about becoming great, when I think about wanting to be like these people, this passage is so helpful because it tells me exactly what I need to do. I don't need to go to Cambridge. I don't need to get a position in the most important church in the city. All I need to do is serve. Look for who's around me, who do I need to serve, and start serving. So, if you want to be great, and if you want to do great things for God, 
you must begin by serving those around you. And you must end by serving those around you. There's no point where Jesus says, now you stop serving. You should live a life of service, and that's what leads to greatness. Let's go ahead and end by asking if there's any questions. You guys clear on the three points? Okay. Is there anything in the passage that as we read it you thought I didn't touch on that you had sparked a question in your mind? Yes. 